Hello, this is the Dream Life. It's a journey to some of the most remarkable places on Earth. You'll be guided and immersed into the atmosphere of world-famous sites and exceptional destinations. You can see them from breathtaking angles, and you'll get a glimpse of their lesser-known side by dreaming into them and having an adventure. You can give your mind an outing, be inspired, and relax deeply in awesome surroundings. Are you ready to go? This is the dream life. Autumn has suddenly become spring. It's October and you find yourself in Alice Springs, Australia. Things have become slightly topsy-turvy. You're standing in a field under a magical sky sprinkled with stars and galaxies. You look at your watch. It's 4am, but you're wide awake, still on European time. The air is chilly, but there's a jet of ferocious fire shooting horizontally over the ground. A large, soft sack quivers, and then it swells to its full volume. And you watch an enormous hot air balloon come to life. It stands vertically, gorgeously red. Across its luminous skin, you can read the word Dreamtime. You climb into the basket beneath the raging burner. There's just three of you, two passengers and a pilot, excited and nervous. Ropes holding the basket to the ground are released. The pilot blasts the second burner and the column of streaming fire grows thicker, jolting the balloon into an upward motion. It starts to rise, ever so gently. There's no hint of a wobble. In fact, you feel so steady and secure in the basket that you wonder if it's the ground that's pulling away from you. You close your eyes. Everything feels perfectly still and the warmth from above caresses you. You're much higher now just able to make out some people waving. You wave back, 
and you notice how much hotter it is just a meter above you. The view is astounding. It's a complete wraparound endless landscape that's so clear and direct that you feel you can reach out and touch it from your basket. You see car lights flowing along the roads and curving round at junctions. Tiny, faraway sounds from a sheep or dog are there beside you in the basket. Birds fly by and you can hear their wings flap in the silent air. The sky is becoming less dark and the stars are fading. Below, the desert landscape is emerging. The pilot tells you that you're crossing the West MacDonnell Ranges with its rugged rocks coming out of the deep grey. You can see movement on the peaks. Twitching animals are grazing and then scanning the landscape. They're kangaroos. In fact, they're mighty red kangaroos. They stare at you, in between mouthfuls as you sail over. And then, all of a sudden, they launch themselves and start jumping down the ridges following behind you. You wave. They stop and stare. And then from behind, you see a hazy yellow light break over the horizon and stretch itself wide across the wild outback of desert oaks and mulga scrub. It's sunrise. It's like being at the dawn of creation. A few dark clouds start appearing, and you seem to be travelling faster now. The wind has picked up, and the balloon is being pushed strongly in a southwesterly direction. The pilot blasts the burners hard in the hope that he can rise above the current, but you keep accelerating. You remember that the terrifying, but ultimately very relaxing part of ballooning is that you have no control of where you're going. You have to surrender to nature and accept where she's taking you and how fast you're getting there. You decide to enjoy the ride. It's smooth, thrilling, and you've just overtaken a crackle of cockatoos. Fancy that. They squawk in annoyance. It's clear that the pilot wants to land, but below there's cattle roaming and the ground seems too rough. The rocks would rip the basket apart. The balloon travels on, racing on the wind. And like someone from behind giving a slideshow, the landscape picture in front illuminates with the shadow of the balloon splashed across. And then it dims for some seconds before the next slightly different picture appears but always with the balloon shadow. You raise your hands to see your silhouette 
and you watch your shadow subtly come directly in front of you. And then the balloon loses altitude and you feel that you could suddenly crash into yourself as you're sailing towards the ground. The pilot and the other passenger are looking concerned. You ask if we're okay. The pilot nods, but the other passenger, a man, is not happy. He's agitated and he's trying to tell the pilot to go somewhere else. But the pilot can't. The land is less rough here. He's letting out the hot air through the valve at the top in the hope of making a landing. The passenger's getting annoyed, but the pilot commands everyone to take a crash landing position within the basket. You bend your knees so that your head is inside the basket and you hold onto the rim. The other passenger also crouches, but instead of holding onto the rim, he puts his arm around something. You look. My goodness, it's another person. It looks like a delicate old lady who sits immobile on the basket floor. Where did she come from? Suddenly you feel a thud as the basket hits the earth and then rises again. You're shaken, but unharmed. The man and the old lady have been thrown sideways. You go to help, and then you crouch over her, holding onto the bar at the rim of the basket, and you brace yourself for another crash. This time the impact is very strong, pulling the basket onto its side. You're thrown down, but happily you fall onto a sandbag, and the woman's fall is cushioned by you. You hold on to her, and you hold on to the basket as it's dragged and thrashed about over a long bumpy surface for many minutes. The force is incredible and your body and your vision are just a jumble of jagged vibrations, going on and on and on. But the resistance becomes stronger. And finally, you stop. Is it really over? Nothing is happening. The old lady starts to murmur. And then she speaks distinct words which you don't understand. You guess that she's an Aborigine. The other man responds in the same language and moves over from somewhere else in the basket. Together with him you help her sit up. You are all trembling. Where's the pilot? He's vanished. You crawl over the wicker and out into the open, and then you reach in to help the old lady out. You feel you can hardly stand, but the three of you are unharmed, breathing in the air deeply, feeling your feet firmly on the ground. And then slowly, you realize that you are standing just a few hundred meters before a colossal mound of red rock, glowing serenely in the morning sun against a flat, faded landscape. Uluru, says the lady. You're amazed at how far you've traveled, and of all places to land, you surely hit the jackpot. 
you smile. A smile that's brighter than the morning sunshine, which a cloud now covers. Not good, says the man. You look at him, and he explains that this is sacred Aboriginal territory that we have just invaded. The ancestors may be angry. You understand, but none of this was planned. You're concerned for the missing pilot. He must have been thrown out, and you think that we should look for him. There's a heated discussion between the man and the old lady in Aboriginal language. They seem to oppose each other. But in the end, the old lady is adamant, staring with ferocious bright blue eyes at the mysteriously glowing Uluru against the thundery skies. And the man becomes quiet. He turns to you and tells you that he will look for the pilot, but that his mother insists that you go with her to Uluru. The old lady sets her bright, bottomless eyes on you. They glow like two blue moons against her dark face. You nod. Jeddah, she says. You look at her son. That's her name, he says. The clouds are becoming darker and the greys swirl above you. Jeddah and you walk over the dusty land of red sand and dry grass. She's surprisingly fast for a tiny lady. You feel the chill in the air and a few drops of rain fall on your face. This must be a rare experience in the region. Jeddah surveys the heavy skies and where she looks, a streak of lightning flashes across the sky. She claps her hands together with excitement and the rain appears to become stronger. You both trot on in silence as the magnificent Uluru comes even nearer. It's become shrouded in mist and turned a dull orange-grey. All the soft folds in the sandstone make it look like a sleeping Sharpe dog about to be woken by a downpour. And then the sky opens and water gushes down. Feeling slightly self-conscious, you reach into your rucksack for an umbrella. It's good to be prepared, even if you're in the desert. The red umbrella is large, enough for the two of you, and Jeddah seems to approve of the shelter. thin lines of white water streaming down over the mounds and crevices, then running off as brilliant waterfall sprays. As you draw near to the base of the rock, Jeddah says, Puli, and she points to the rocky area where wildflowers are clinging. They're bursting into tiny splashes of fresh purple. Jeddah goes to an ancient-looking tree and she pulls off two green pieces from it. And she hands you the rain-washed fruit. Ili, she says. And she starts to eat one. You try it. It has a smooth skin and 
as you bite it, you see the inside is a golden yellow. It's chewy, giving off the taste of vanilla and peach, but it's also crunchy from the seeds. You think it's a fig. It's an amazing sensation eating this fruit straight from a tree in the desert. You both walk on. The rock is all wet and shiny now. It's no longer a soft puppy skin, but has a waxy, seal-like texture with different shades of dark red, purples, and also black. Sometimes even silver gleaming there in the gushing rain. On the ground, clay pans are filling, and rose-breasted cockatoos hop by the side, drinking from them, splashing in them, and enjoying the gentle spray from a rock. The scents are amazing. Rain on arid earth smells like gratitude. A clicking, squeaky, toy-like sound draws your attention to the top of a rock. A gecko with bulging yellow eyes lies there motionless, except for its tongue that whips out and licks them. As you walk, you realize the grass is getting longer and there are more trees. Plants are changing more dramatically and you become surrounded by bamboo. And you see white trees a little further away that have been opened up and have red resin oozing from inside. Jeddah leaves the path and goes to these trees to scoop out some of the resin and she places it carefully into a little box. Medicine, she says. At some point, you hear a sound of something like hundreds of nails being hammered into wood. And you also hear sheep bleating. Jeddah looks at you and smiles with those crystal blue eyes. She seems charmed by the noise and also your bewilderment. You now hear a waterfall crashing and Jeddah takes you through lush green foliage to an astoundingly noisy waterhole. A rushing trail of water weaves left and right down the crevices and crashes into the pool, causing giant ripples. Tiddalik, she laughs. You assume she must mean frogs are making the commotion. She takes you further along the path, through the torrential rain beating on your umbrella, and then she leaves, leading you into a hidden fissure in the rocks, which opens out into a dark, dry cave. It's a welcome relief to be out of the rain. It feels warm and snug, and you take off your soaked jacket. Jeddah is going around the cave with the lighter. There seem to be candles tucked into depressions in the wall. As the wick catches fire, it throws light upon the walls of the cave revealing an astonishingly decorated surface. 
Circles and dots are everywhere, filled with the energy of fireworks moving. Jeddah reaches into her pocket and takes out a little glass jar and tips what looks like ashes onto the rock in the center of the cave. She then picks up the wet umbrella from the floor and shakes the drips onto the rock. With her finger, she mixes the ashes with the water until she forms some kind of paint. And then she puts the mixture back into the jar and walks to the wall. Finding an area that seems cleaner, she dips her finger into the paint and starts to draw some straight lines. But then from beneath, a wiggly line seems to emerge. Do you know the story of the Rainbow Serpent? She asks. You look at her in amazement. Did she just speak English? You shake your head, then listen carefully. Once upon a time, there were no animals, only people living on a flat earth. But one day, the Rainbow Serpent Guriana woke up and went in search of his tribe. Is this Jeddah speaking or the paintings? You cannot be certain because the voice is strange and you can't see her lips move in the darkness. She now draws tall triangles and wiggly lines, then some stick men. As he went searching, he created the hills and mountains and rivers. The people followed him until he heard familiar music and he found his tribe. And that night there were celebrations. Then a storm was about to start, so the tribe built tents for the shelter. Two boys came round looking for shelter, but no one had room. So they asked at Guriana's tent. He also couldn't help them because his tent was so small and it was pouring with rain and the boys were getting wet so Guriana invited them to sleep in his mouth. At this point, all the candles start flickering and certain pictures on the wall catch the light. You see fierce animals hunting and being hunted. You see spears and wounds and battle. And you think a light is slowly sliding along the walls, hovering over concentric circles and starbursts. Before morning, when the rain stopped, Guriana awoke and went away. When the men discovered that the boys had been taken, they grew angry and they chased the serpent. They found him asleep in a cave. They cut open his stomach, looking for the boys. But they had transformed and outflew two cockatoos. 
When Gurriana woke up to find his stomach had been cut, he was enraged. He started to shake the mountains and the rocks. The people fled, and as they ran, they turned into birds and trees and animals. And when he got tired, he went and he hid in the waterhole. Coming out only after the rain to remind the people about who had shaped the land and created the creatures. She finishes her story by drawing a tree with deep roots and long stretching branches. You are mesmerized. She now lights a lamp in the corner and beckons you to follow her. You go to the back of the cave and pass illustrations on the wall of two boys. Then the walls become blank and start to move down. It's a smooth sandstone tunnel leading directly down for a long, long time. You think it should be dark, but it's not. Is the light coming from Jeddah's crystal blue eyes? It gets warmer the deeper you get. You're not frightened. The root is well hollowed and smooth, and it feels protected. There's a faint reddish light getting stronger. The flickering light bounces off the walls. You go further down, and the passage opens out to a second cavern. It's lit like a photographic darkroom with interrupted power supply. The walls have a few paintings, less than in the cave above, but these are more carefully decorated. There's pictures of seeds becoming plants, women giving birth at the side of a river, but there's also people being covered by the water and the kangaroo-headed snake eating bones. In the center, there's a long cut along the ground from which the dark red light seems to seep. Jeddah reaches into her pocket and pulls out the box where she gathered the tree resin. She bends down and starts to smear the substance over the gash. The agitated red calms down and becomes more constant. You think you understand that this is the moment that you should reach out to the ancestors. You go on your knees, and after seeking permission from Jeddah, start to rub the medicinal oil into the groove. The light becomes brighter, almost a lava orange. You worry you're causing more damage, but you cautiously, respectfully, continue to smooth in the ointment, listening to the harrowed ground and spirited air that go back eons to dream time, willing the pain to go away.
the fiery orange fades into dull embers and slowly disappears into darkness. You both stand, sensing rather than seeing each other, and you make your way back up. Back in the mouth of the cave, you feel uplifted and utterly exhausted. Your internal European clock thinks it's the early hours of the morning, and the darkness has reinforced this. You pick up your rucksack, and then your red umbrella. Jeddah shakes her head and gestures that you should leave it. Leave your umbrella? She goes to the wall of the cave, and with her jar of paint, she draws two women under the arch of an umbrella, and the serpent coiled up and sleeping in the circle of a cave. You wonder if the umbrella is now a symbol for alternative shelter to the mouth of a snake. Then she invites you to touch the wall. You understand this as a great honor, and you gratefully touch the rough, sandy surface that seems to touch back. And you feel the respectful exchange of energy. Before you leave, Jeddah holds out the paint to you. You realize she's offering that you make your own mark on the wall. You smile and dip your finger in the shining okra. You look at the drawing of the two women under the umbrella and the snake in its circle, and you draw an infinity symbol around the two images. And then you put a smile on the face of one of the female figures. You exit the cave back through the fissure. There's bright sunshine and it's stopped raining. You retrace your steps back to the waterhole and there you see the most glorious sight. A sparkling rainbow spans the water. Jeddah rejoices. Guryana, she says. What a beautiful sight. Photo, says Jeddah. You're delighted and ask someone to take a picture. You're now immortalized with Jeddah under the blessings of the rainbow snake. It's late afternoon and you've both walked a good way around the perimeter of Uluru. Jeddah points to the rocks, telling you a lesson about them. But she does this in her own language, as if she didn't know a word of English. Nevertheless, you feel the energy of the stone and the ancestral life locked up within it. 
you spot wallabies in the grass, and you walk dreamily and peacefully around the steaming rock, glistening in the sunlight. Then you hear the familiar hammering and bleating of the frogs. You arrive at another, different waterhole, and Jeddah takes you round to an open, overhanging cave. To your utter surprise, a table, decked with tablecloth and glasses of champagne, is laid out, and two men get up from their chairs to greet you. It's Jeddah's son and the pilot. They look well. You sit down, and you drink champagne together, and watch the glorious sunset. The rock turns a fabulous russet red, and you exchange your incredible stories of your day. Apparently, the pilot carried a parachute on his back, and because you were all being dragged along the ground at a ferocious pace. He decided to release his parachute and hold onto the basket to help slow it down. At one point, however, the winds took him up into the air, and he was forced to let go. He landed safely in vegetation a kilometer away from the balloon. The sun lowers over the horizon, and the sky turns black. There are no artificial lights in the outback, so it's really dark. There's a silver candelabra on your table, and you relish the simple but unbelievably welcome food that the pilot has provided, followed by fruit freshly picked from the trees around Uluru. Above, the Milky Way is visible. Along with millions of shimmering stars, some of which are falling, you feel you could fall down with them into a beautiful, welcome sleep. It's been a wondrous, deep adventure, and you contemplate that one day you will be an ancestor who sailed on the winds of time. And made your own story.